Thanks for joining us here at Belgium Community Church. Our current series is called 167. It's a look at the book of James and what faith looks like beyond Sunday. The theoretical limit for perfect eyesight is what's called 28. So at 20 feet, a person with that theoretical limit can see what a normal person would see at 8 feet. That's the theoretical limit. Well, researchers have done studies and found that Major League Baseball players have an average eyesight of 2012. So that means some players, like Dustin Pedroia, have better vision, like 29, and some of them have worse. But the average is to be able to see at 20 feet what the normal person can see at 12 feet. What's What's starting to happen in the baseball world is players are having to get their eyesight corrected because if you, if you can't see as well as the next guy, then you're at a disadvantage because everything in baseball comes down to can you see the ball fast enough? This is a baseball that's flying a little over 60 feet at 90 miles per hour. And so being able in milliseconds to pick up what's happening, one little detail makes all of the difference. But for a baseball player, if his eyes are just slightly weaker, if he sees just a little bit worse, honestly, if, he, if his eyes take in light just slightly wrong, or if his attention is in the wrong spot, then he's at a disadvantage in this sport where everything comes down to feet and inches, miles per hour. Because everything in baseball comes down to can you see? Can you see what you need to see? Are you looking in the right place? I'm just thinking about that this week. Because... We all go through, like our, our normal lives don't involve being in church. We've got places to go. We've got things to do. We've got people to talk to. We've got children to raise. We've got accounts to, to handle. We've got clients. We've got health decisions to make. And so right now we're in the series in James where we're talking about what does faith look like beyond Sunday? And I was reminded of that, the importance of vision in the life of a baseball player because it, it's also important in our lives. Because what we're going to see today is that if, our, if we're actually looking in the wrong place, if we're paying attention to the wrong things, just slightly wrong, we can end up in a totally different place. If we end up walking 167 hours per week, and we're paying attention to the wrong things with our eyes focused in the wrong place, taking in things just slightly wrong, we're going to see today that that makes a huge difference. Go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 3. The series in James, written by Jesus' brother to the Christians 13 years after Jesus died, rose again, and returned to heaven. And so they're kind of fending for their lives, living in far flung cities and places they never really planned to be. And they're wondering, what, is it, what does it mean to live like a Christian? So then James is writing them this letter. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you will speak to us clearly today, that you will help us Lord, to fix our eyes in the right place. In Jesus' name, amen. 
what we're going to find here in, in James chapter 3 is that all of us are called 167, really 168 hours per week to keep our eyes on maturity. It's easy for us to, to, to move our focus away from maturity towards other goals and towards other things, but 168 hours a week, we are called to keep our eyes, this goal before us, which is maturity. What James is going to show us is two ways that we pursue maturity. Verses 1 through 12 tell us, control your tongue. Like maturity, keeping your eyes on maturity looks like controlling your tongue. Verses 1 through 12 starts out with, not many of you should become teachers. He's not saying not many of you should want to become teachers, but like the teaching role is especially important, and he moves from there into why is it so important? Why is why is it like why should not everybody become a teacher? Because the weapon or the tool of a teacher is the tongue. But it's not just the weapon and tool of a teacher, it's actually a weapon and tool for all of us. All of us use our tongues, and so the things that James says regarding teachers apply to all of us. And he begins to apply it to all of us. Verses two, verse 2 through 12 says, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. We'll take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. and With it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This first part of what it means for us to keep our eyes on maturity is to keep to learn to control our tongue. That's what maturity looks like. This is, in some sense, what the passage says, the last area of maturity. You see, we can control a lot of things in our lives, but our tongue is the thing that seems to so easily words, harmful words, hurtful words, slip out, reflecting hearts that both bless God and curse others. You see, there's five images here about regarding control of the tongue. The first image is this image of a horse that we put a bit or a bridle in his mouth and around and we can then control the horse. Not only do we, we can control a horse if we can control his mouth, but like large ships that wind drives can be controlled with small rudders. These great winds that could drive a ship across an ocean get steered by tiny little rudders. In the same way, our, our whole life is steered by the words that we use. Not only like horses and ships, but also the image he gives is that the tongue is a fire. The fire can do great damage. It's easier for most of us to think of the great damage that other people have done to us with their tongues than it is for us to catalog all the ways that we've used our tongue to do great damage in somebody else's life. 
the fourth image he uses is this image that we can control all sorts of animals. But our tongues always seem to be out of our control. And the final image he uses is that we use our tongues to sing praises to God and to bless Him on Sunday morning. Then we curse other people. We belittle them, we chew them out, we tell them that they're wrong. Maturity looks like controlling the tongue. These images give us this idea, our tongues, this last area of maturity in our lives, our, our tongues have to be begun to be controlled. If we are going to learn to live out faith beyond Sunday morning, because our kids and our neighbors and our coworkers, our spouses, look at us and go, they have so much control and yet their tongue is out of control. So not only is this a word for teacher, this is a, a word for all of us. Everybody can and should pursue mature speech. That's said in a world that says, speak your truth. We live in a world that says, oh, I'm just being real. Just telling you what I think. I'm speaking my truth. Just telling you like it is. But God says, no. The tongue is a fire set on fire by hell and does great damage in the world. Don't speak your truth. Learn to control your tongue. My grandpa was a woodworker. And growing up, we had a lamp that he had made when he was in high school. But of course, I only knew my grandpa when he was much, much older. And we lived a long way away, but anytime we got to spend an extended amount of time with my grandpa, he loved to take my brother and I, my older brother and I, to his workshop to show us his tools and to teach us some skills. Grandpa was especially good with a lathe. So he had multiple ones, and I remember he had catalogs of, what, of different kinds of lathes, and I was like, wow, I, I just didn't imagine that like, this was such a big deal. But Grandpa would take these pieces of wood, he'd get exotic pieces of wood from around the world, and he would just take a couple of pieces of tools, he'd make something in just five minutes in front of my brother and I, and say, hey, now would you guys like to make a spatula? And I realized that, that those 40 years, those 50 years, those 60 years of experience meant that what looked easy in my grandpa's life was incredibly hard. Working with a lathe and working with these tools became like this very dangerous thing in my hands as wood splinters would go flying across the room. I would do deep gouges when I'm just trying to make a simple cylinder. But here is Grandpa making spindles for banisters. Grandpa, I think to show off, he'd sometimes make little toothpick-sized spindles for people just to see how, how small and how delicate he could make something. When I think about this word maturity and this call to us to, to have mature speech, the call of God is that we begin to use our tongues as carefully as my grandpa could use his tools. To do only the things he wanted to do. Only, only to make beautiful and wonderful things with his hands. The call of maturity is for us to say, can we use our tongues that skillfully? Not to cut people down, not to win arguments. Not to get things the way that we want them, but instead to bless other people. The call, of, the call to live our faith beyond Sunday morning is a call to pursue mature, skillful speech, controlling our tongues. And saying, how do I use my tongue with my wife and my kids? With the people on my block, with the people in my workplace, 
people in my church, how do I use my tongue to bless them? As a skillful tool in my hands, not a raging fire outside of my control. This passage says, keep your eyes on maturity, starting with control your tongue. The second way it calls us to pursue maturity is to pursue motivation from above. Verses 13 through 18 say, we, we need a motivation that comes from God. Verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This section starts with, like, if you think that you're wise, show it in how you live. Don't just tell me that you're wise. And then he lists what wisdom is not. Starting with the motivation. Wisdom is not bitter envy and selfish ambition. He says that 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 kind of wisdom, that kind of motivation doesn't come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherever you find it, you find disorder and every evil practice. When I told my wife, we were going to be spending August in the book of James. She said, that does not sound fun. Because James can just be brutal. And this is one of those passages where he doesn't just say that selfish ambition and envy are bad. He says they're demonic. I don't know about you, but I'm a lot more familiar. If that's demonic, I'm a lot more familiar with selfish ambition, with envy, with this unspiritual demonic stuff. I'm a lot more familiar with that than I want to be. He says wisdom is not envy and selfish ambition because it's going to lead to disorder and every evil practice. Then he lists what is wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is this motivation it's that, that comes down from heaven. Then it shows up in purity, in loving peace, in being considerate, in being submissive, in being full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. God's list is very different than the world's list. God's list is very different than the world's list. The world, and unfortunately our hearts, start with envy and selfish ambition, saying, where do we want to go? What do I want to make of my life? And then the short version is it's unspiritual, and it leads to all sorts of evil practice. But God's wisdom, motivation that comes from above, shows up in purity and in peace. In somebody that's considerate, in somebody that's submissive, and it's full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. God's list is different than the world's list. How often have we heard somebody say, somebody is too nice to be successful? He's too nice to be great. He's too nice to be excellent because you've got to be ruthless. The Bible says, no. Envy and selfish ambition is going to lead to all sorts of evil practice, but somebody that's too nice, with the motivation that comes from above, is actually going to produce a harvest of righteousness. So maturity looks like we pursue a motivation that comes from above. This tells us that in God's economy, the ends never justify the means. 
saying, oh, this is a worthy goal. It would be good to see this in the world. That is never right in God's eyes because envy and selfish ambition lead to evil practice, full stop. The motivation that comes from above is the only thing that's actually going to produce a harvest of righteousness. I've told this story a few times. But when I was in college, I worked in a deli and I did the dishes uh, at the end of my shift every day. And I got to know the, the owner and the cook real well and just got into a habit of this is how you do the dishes. And I found that it's just a good way of kind of finishing the work day, kind of zoning out. And ever since then, I've enjoyed doing the dishes. When we got married, I often do the dishes at night. And I did that for several years. And when we, I guess we had Micah, so we'd probably been married about four or five years at that point. That was a point where the Lord had, had, had broken this selfish ambition in my heart. Where everything that I did tried to prove that I was good at something. I thought I was proving to Emma that I was a good husband. And I reached this point where I realized that God's standard for me was higher than Emma's standard for me, so that even if she were impressed, God wasn't. And in that moment, in those moments, as I began to learn those lessons, the Lord started to break me in that season. And then one day I was doing the dishes, and Emma starts, comes into the kitchen and starts crying. And I was like, what are you crying? And she's like, you're doing the dishes. And I was like, I've been doing the dishes for five years. What's the deal? What's the deal? Why, like, why would you cry and be upset, or I'm sorry, and be emotional and grateful that I'm doing the dishes now? It's different. And she said it, that it was that I had changed, so that the motivation of my heart was different. My actions hadn't actually changed, but the motivation of my heart had changed. Instead of trying to prove and lord over her how good of a husband I was, instead I was just grateful that the Lord had been kind to me. And that changed everything. This passage says that it's the motivation that matters to maturity, not just the end result. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Selfishness is going to produce evil stuff. But a motivation that comes from above, that's, that's humble and that's wise from God, actually changes everything. So the question for us is, will we aspire to and seek wisdom that's from above? What does faith beyond Sunday look? It looks like looking at maturity and it looks like pursuing wisdom that's from above moment by moment. God, can I have a godly motivation in the middle of this? Got to have this job. Got to have this family. Got to have these hobbies. I have all these things. God, can you give me a motivation from the outside in to change? The call to us is to not settle for just good actions, but actually a motivation that comes from God. See, anybody can, can paint the outside and make it look nice. Anybody can paint the outside with some nice actions and still be driven by bitter envy and selfish ambition. And the Bible says that one day that's going to lead to disorder. Everything's going to fall apart and everyone's going to know what that looks like. And so the call to us is will we pursue a motivation that comes from God and be changed from the inside out and not settle for anything less? This isn't just for teachers. Yes, teachers should control their tongue and pursue a motivation from above, but all of us can pursue control of our tongue and say, God, I want wisdom that comes from you. I'm not going to settle for selfish ambition. Sprinkled throughout this passage and throughout this sermon, I think is just this awareness that God's standard is way higher than our standard. 
God's standard for my tongue is higher than my standard for my tongue. God's standard for my heart is higher than my standard for my heart. And so this passage comes and condemns me and you and all of us. God's law is higher than our law. We are not in control of our tongue or our motivations in a way that God requires. Our lives are demonic, set on fire by hell. Who will save us? Who can save people like this? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the one with the perfect record. Nobody ever accused him of wrong. And it stuck. Nobody ever said, look at this sin, and they were right. Jesus is the one with the perfect record who then exchanges his perfect record for ours. And then he gives us a new heart and a spirit to come inside of us so that we can actually overcome these tongues of ours that are out of control. He is the one that gives us a spirit so that we can be motivated with a wisdom that comes from above. So then, yes, this passage condemns us, but for those of us that are in Christ, this is good news for us. That we don't, we don't start going home today and think, how do I control my tongue to please God? Instead, we go home because we're in Christ and we say, God looks at my tongue and sees the tongue of Christ. And now I can try and match it. I can begin to live that out in the power of the Spirit. Yes, I have been motivated with a motivation from below, but God looks at me and sees that I am motivated with the righteousness of Christ and He gives me a spirit so I can live a new life. If you're here and you say, I want to know that for sure. I've been putting on, I've been acting out. This passage condemns me as demonic, set on fire by hell. This passage condemns me, but I want this good news you talk about, Joe. The story of the Bible is that God made the world and He made it good made Adam and Eve and said that they are very good and he said that Adam and Eve and every human after them would be little kings under him under his rule that we would rule the world together with God reflecting his image into the world Adam and Eve and you and I and every person in the world has said no we will live our own way we're going to use our tongues in our own way doing our own thing we're going to curse God and we're going to curse people the Bible says that God will one day crush his enemies but instead of leaving us there He came and lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die and rose again as God's great yes on Jesus' life and His death so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ can be given Jesus' record, empowered with Jesus' Spirit to live a new life and to reflect God into the world with our tongues and with our motivations so that instead of saying the ends justify the means, we can say, God, we want to be motivated from, with your wisdom from above and trust that your scorecard will one day win out. That's how this can be ours as we repent of sin and trust in Christ. So what changes? What changes if, if we keep our eyes on maturity with our tongues and with our motivations? What changes? I know for one thing, I think our kids would grow up without being spoken to by tongues set on fire by hell. I think that changes a child's life when they grow up with parents whose tongues are instead set on fire by a wisdom that comes from God. Imagine a home where people speak not with blessings for God and curses for people, but blessings for God and blessings for one another. 
Imagine what happens on a block when people hear their, their, their tongues are different than our tongues, not just because they don't say bad words that we say. No, they actually use their tongues as these great blessings. And the great wind of God is blowing through them. And their tongues are not taking them off course. Imagine what happens in the block that God's put you. You're motivated not by selfish ambition. You're motivated with the wisdom that comes from God. So then you get to see the fruit of mercy. You get to see the fruit of self-control. You get to see the fruit of sincerity. Then our lives become good news. Our lives become good news 167 hours a week. Not just when we come into church, but our lives become good news. As our tongues are mature and our motivations are get, become transformed. So the call of this passage is for us to fix our eyes on maturity, especially in our tongues and in our motivations. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We couldn't get a righteousness on our own. And we thank you for the good news that we don't have to. And so we can speak to one another and we can bless one another and we can encourage one another. Lord, and we can seek a motivation that comes from you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for our series called 167. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and BelgiumChurch.com.